And I'm Dion. Welcome to the In Life Podcast. Where we try to figure out life together. Uh, first things first, I just want to give a shout out to our listeners in Ireland. Oh my God. 3% uh, listeners in Ireland. Where are you yeah. at? Hey, whoever you guys are, guys or gals. Or uh, guy or gal, because it's more like uh, one correct. individual person. Or guy or gal. Please, please send us an email at inlifepodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> Love to hear from you. We'll give you a shout out next time. Just hyped that we have some international audiences. In worldwide. We yeah, are worldwide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to start with that. Yeah, actually, let's give a listener, the listener some updates. So we have 26 plays on our last episode. <laughs> if that's not viral, I don't know what is. Yeah. You know, if we charted this out mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, with like, Number of podcasts on the x-axis. Sure. Listeners on the y. Essentially, we're just straight yeah. up right now. Correct. Yeah. This Correct. one will, will probably get, what, 200 listeners? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. I was shooting for 300, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. It's funny because our marketing tactic is zero. Or I, have, I was actually thinking about this. I've just been messaging my close friends like, yo, check this out. What do you think? Mm. Who I don't have any friends in Ireland. So that's why we're asking you, Ireland individual. Oh, you know you what? This? Oh, I you? think I know who it is. Yeah, it's my great uncle. No, you're trolling. I'm trolling. <laughs> <laughs> so whoever you are in Ireland, please send us a note. Or else we're going to keep talking about this. Every yeah, episode. every time. I was shocked. Anyways, what was the other thing I was going to talk to you about? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a topic for next time. But we were talking about social impact and like how do people choose between tech and social impact work? And I was like, oh, I have this example of a friend, Dion. You may know him because you listen to him on In Life podcast. <laughs> and he studied public health in university. And I mean, really correct me if I'm wrong. But we've talked a lot about social impact work and he's really passionate about it, but has not done it as like his career. And I think part of that is like mortgage, et cetera, et cetera. But (laughs) we were using you as we were trying to identify who are people on the cusp of doing it versus not. And like, why did they not? Um, But I want to talk about that at length. Maybe we can have a guest join us in that episode. Because I wanted to do this. Basically, my thought was like, we talked to pure tech. Like, I think it needs to be a safe space because if I'm going to interrogate you of like, Dion, why are you still in tech? Like, why are you selling out? Why aren't you choosing blah, blah, blah. It has to be like, I'm just coming from a good place or a place of understanding slash it's not going to influence like how I view you because Mm -hmm. I think you're a great person regardless. However, I was like, I have some other colleagues that Dion also knows Mm -hmm. and they have also like, sometimes expressed to me like i want to do some social impact work Mm -hmm. but then like left our company to go do something that was like definitely not social impact related Mm -hmm. and um my understanding of their situation is that they don't have dependents they don't have a mortgage they don't have x y and z so i'm curious Mm -hmm. to like talk to those people and say like why but not like why aren't you doing social impact work but like why aren't you doing social impact work Mm -hmm. um 
So I'm curious to have those conversations in the future, but I just brought you up because because you had this public health background and yep. a lot of our argument was like, oh, in college, there's no awareness of like, what does a career look like beyond like, uh, I guess we just go into tech or I just, I guess oh, like, absolutely. yeah, people just yeah. have like name recognition of a company or like salary recognition of a company and like, absolutely. that's it. Yeah. Yeah. We should talk about this in length. Um, yeah. I'm definitely a lot to say, but I think for this episode, Roshni, we had some pretty deep stuff to talk about, right? Yeah. We do. We do. Damn. <laughs> Is this a laughing okay. matter? No, it's not. It's definitely <laughs> not. I'm so sorry. Oh my God. Yeah, you're right. Let me just, I want to explain to you my journey of Wait. how I got here so late. You know, Wait. I'm just pretty late on this. Wait, did moment. you just find out? No, I didn't just find oh. out. <laughs> I did not just. Find- okay. So for the <laughs> listeners, what we're talking about is Kobe. Rest in peace, Kobe, and baby, Gianna. Ooh. Um, so I was looking on YouTube, watching basketball highlights, particularly Luka Doncic. 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 I that think people just refer to him as Luka now. Oh, my God. He's I, believe that, the, like, I believe the term is called mononymy. What does that mean? Where you're just referred to by one name, like Kobe. Oh, wow. Great transition. Um, Yeah. So I was watching basketball highlights, and then it came up in my recommended of watching Kobe's memorial. And I was really feeling emotional, so I watched it. And then I watched MJ's speech. I watched Shaq's speech. I watched Vanessa's speech. Then I watched the TNT special per... Dion's recommendation of M, uh, Shaq. And oh my God, I was so overwhelmed. Definitely almost cried in many of those speeches. And then I was like, who was Kobe? So obviously I messaged Dion and I say, Dion, who is Kobe? And in conjunction, let's talk about death. Yeah. So that's what I'd like to talk about today. Mostly trying to understand who Kobe was as a person Mm. because all I know is like, and then very limited, Kobe had like some sexual assault kind Mm. of scandals. Literally, that's all I know. And that he was like this sprightly young man and him and Shaq had beef and Shaq seems like this big teddy bear. And Mm. so I was like, what's the vibe here? Um, So Dion, can you tell me more about Kobe so that I can understand what i don't know i was like trying to understand i remember dion what happened and you told me you were like this is the first celebrity death oh, yeah. that i've like felt in my core yeah i i, I cried like- multiple times like throughout the course of that first week um and it, it's not like i idolized him or anything growing up it was just i'm a huge fan of the nba and basketball as a whole and I think I cried because of the loss because it it was almost like I felt the fact that we wouldn't have him commentating at games, providing analysis, mentoring young players, being a positive influence in the world of basketball for the next 40 years when we were expecting him, you know, to 
to be that influential person. And it was almost like just the loss of the potential. I think that's what I was mourning almost. Um, Mm. Yeah. uh, Kobe Bean Bryant. Oh my God. (laughs) Uh, I mean, like, so it's really interesting before getting into him. It's really interesting seeing the reactions. And I guess more or less I fall into this camp of someone who like, didn't really like, look, I'm not the insider on Kobe, right? Clearly not. I'm just like a regular dude who followed basketball. And my personal first memories of the NBA was Froby, as they like to say. So the number eight Kobe, who used to have the Afro early 2000s, like um, that, those were my first memories. And so growing up in the Bay Area, like I didn't, I don't know, how old was I? 10, 11, 12? I didn't know you're supposed to root for your hometown team, right? I didn't know I was supposed to root for the Warriors who sucked back then. I just thought like, oh, this guy's great. This guy's always on TV. He's in a big market. He's cool. Let me just root for the Lakers because of Kobe. Um, So that was really my first memories of him. But it's interesting because like I didn't know much about him. Most people didn't, right? He was a pretty private guy. Um, And then when he passed, all of a sudden, I think the thing that shocked most people, it shocked me at least, was like this guy who seemed to be hard to approach, tenacious, uh, just like bloodthirsty to win and to be the best player he could possibly be. He's... It all of a sudden it came out that all these people from celebrities to past NBA players to current young up and coming players, they all had like some type of intimate connection with him. You know, whether it's like we used to text each other at two in the morning, or we used to do we we had planned to do workouts in the summer, or just all these things. Everyone seemed like they had a Kobe story that was actually quite intimate. And that was just super surprising to me. Granted, like, you know, I don't know if this is just a natural, not to be very um, callous about it, but I don't know if this is the natural reaction to like when a famous person dies, everyone tries to latch on, right? To say like, oh yeah, I knew him or her. I don't know if that's happening, but it really did seem like people had some connection with Kobe, an interaction, no matter how small, but he would remember it years later. You know what I mean? And so that was super shocking to hear. Yeah. So, yeah, my, I just didn't know who he was as like a person beyond an excellent basketball player. And honestly, what I knew was his like, just the scandal. And I don't even know much about the scandal, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, just watching, I highly recommend everybody watch Shaq's like monologue on TNT mm-hmm. because man just seeing a big man cry really makes you like a big man yeah it was just so sad um but yeah i guess like i'm not i didn't know what impact we lost from kobe like that's the thing i think that if i saw an nba player now pass away that I had watched play I'd be like oh they're like so good and the legacy blah blah but I just didn't know him at all so I was just feeling sad for his 
like yeah. the effect that he had on everybody else. But what is this? Because the reason why I want to know about this scandal and like what was his perception yeah. when he was a player is because I saw that no, obviously no one's going to bring that up at your funeral, but like, right. how does that, how does that impact how people remember you? Yeah. Um, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. So here's the thing. Like, I don't know too much about it either. Mm. And I think, uh, let's put it this way. Folks who like, I don't know, what was I 13 at the time? Right. Like I, you just don't know about this stuff when you're a kid. So it's not, I heard about it, but I didn't really understand what it meant. Um, it was like some sort of like sexual assault or rape allegations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know it, the trial and everything a lot or, or all like the back and forth legal stuff, I think happened during or around the playoffs one of those early 2000s years. And so I know he had to fly back and forth all the time, right? To attend these hearings or whatever, come back to play in games. Um, And I think that none of this is like validated. I don't know if this is true or not, but I think a lot of effort, whether he did it or not, is very unclear. I think there is like some shaky foundation foundational evidence that it's based off of but you know who knows what really happened um so i can't really judge him for any of that right um but what people do say is that a lot of what him and his team as in like his pr team and whatever what they did they put in a lot of effort to essentially try and erase or at least mask that from people's memories right when everyone thinks of kobe now they rarely think of that mm. they these sexual allegations sexual assault allegations right they just mm-hmm. think of generational basketball player maniacal and wanting to win mm. um, so i think there's a lot of like I, I think shortly after maybe it was the season right after actually he changed his number from really eight. yeah it was either that or like the year after listeners oh, that's here. why everybody's like kobe year when they turn 24 yeah or yeah because he he's i think the only person to have two numbers retired right uh oh. eight and 24 both numbers on their own right would probably get into the basketball hall of fame mm. like by themselves so it's totally merited but i think what people often forget is like the timing of when the number change happened um, and I'm not saying, look, once again, I don't know, right? But the timing is close enough that one could hypothesize that a lot of it was just a branding change, similar to why a company might change their name or or what or their their logo or whatever. It's to start anew. Mm-hmm. Um, folks, yeah, think that that might be part of it. And whether or not that makes him guilty or not, I don't know, right? So nobody really knows what happened. I think the case was just settled Mm. or either settled or he was acquitted, one of the two. Interesting. Um, But yeah. But generally as a player, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, what was he like as a person? Like he didn't seem super goofy and like- No, he wasn't. He was just like trying to win. Yeah, so so that's the thing. When when people came out with all these stories after, like, oh yeah, you know, he used to help me and mentor me and all that stuff, and he was close to me and he knew my kids and we'd call him Uncle Kobe and all that stuff. 
that was just honestly a side of Kobe that most people never knew because all we saw of him was what he was like on the court, his open feuds, the issues that he had with his team. Uh, and even as recently as like in the Linsanity years, for example, or I guess post Linsanity, we tell the Lakers, right? All the stuff about him just being brutal during practice, right? Which is probably what he was for the 18 years he played or however long he played. Um, so, yeah, uh, I don't know. Like to your question, I don't know what he was like as a person. I only know, and I think most people only know that he was like, he wasn't really beloved by his teammates. He was always the quote unquote bad cop. And I know on the Lakers, he'd have like D fish. So Derek Fisher, who was kind of with them since the early days. Um, yeah. He was with them since day one, actually D fish is like more tenured on the team. He was like the good cop or when Shaq was on the team, Shaq was the good cop. Shaq was the, Shaq was the uh. one who was like being happy and jovial and uplifting. Whereas Kobe was the one that was writing people um, to be better. So I don't think he was like beloved. <laughs> At least it didn't seem like he was as beloved as he was until his twilight years and then post-retirement. And he played from 18 to what, 36 or something? Uh, yeah, maybe even longer. Maybe he was in the NBA for 20 years or something. I don't really remember. Wow. It was a long time. Okay. He, was like, he wasn't the first. I think like KG, Kevin Garnett was one of the first to come out of high school, straight out of high school, but he was one of the first few. Wow. Um, and on top of that, um, you can like read about his childhood and everything. He, so I think he was born and raised in Philly. Right. But then his dad was a basketball player too. Oh. was at the NBA for a while, but then ended up going to like Europe to play. And I think, so he moved to Italy. Kobe grew up basically in Italy as a kid. Oh. And, and back then, right. Like nobody cared about the Euro league. It's and nowadays it's still kind of the same. It's all about soccer, football, as they yeah. say. Um, so he didn't have anyone to play basketball with growing up as a kid. And he didn't really speak the language that well, even though he's pretty fluent in it, at least in interviews that he's done. But so he'd spent a lot of time by himself at a basketball court, like at a playground, him, a basketball and hoop. And like during his very formative years as a child, that's how he would spend a lot of his time. And coming back to the States for high school, I think um, he didn't, I think the, the story or the word is that he didn't really get the chance to develop a lot of those social skills that maybe a lot of us would have done so, mm. you know, growing up yeah. here. Uh, so, I, I mean, I don't know how well he got along with his high school teammates or any of that, but I think the general perception of him was he wasn't antisocial or anything like that. He just didn't care to make friends. He just cared about winning hmm. and was yeah pretty tenacious at that so when this happened what did that make you feel like why did it make you feel so affected yeah. and do you feel like it yeah i mean it it has made me think a bit about death and like how people how the recall of a person is potentially different at your time of death and it may not be different um but it's just like how people choose to remember you as a person um but when it happened how did it feel for you and like what kind of emotions did it bring up 
um, my initial reaction, so I, it was like one of those moments where I remember exactly where I was. I was um, at home with my parents, lying on the living room carpet, playing with my dog, my pug. Mm-hmm. And I was checking Reddit. Shout out to Reddit. And there was this headline reported, I think, by like TMZ or something, like Kobe Bryant has died in a helicopter crash. And I was like, what? This can't be real. I was just in complete shock. I just couldn't believe it. Um, and the first reaction I had was just literally the thought that, wow, this is the first, if this is true, one, I can't believe this, but if this is actually true, this is like the first celebrity I felt really close close to, in quotes, mm. that I had some affinity towards. And I just didn't really know what to feel. And it wasn't until honestly days later when those closest to him started coming out, right? Making speeches or saying things, posting videos, reactions, that it was almost like the sheer amount of sorrow that was in the world hit me. And I just like soaked it all in and I became super, super sad as well. Mm. Um, yeah. Did it make you feel like one, this is like kind of related, but not exactly. Um, when I was in university, I remember this one time, somehow I was like very overcome with the immediacy of death. Mm. And, and I was intrigued by that because it made me feel like I should act differently. Like I should be doing things that are like maximizing my life, etc. YOLO, as they say, <laughs> as the kids are saying. Um, but obviously, not obviously, I didn't do anything. I just felt like pretty paralyzed by this idea of like death could be, death is like ever pervasive and we don't act like that. Um, and like, I just didn't know how to, balance both like living your life and and thinking about death did you feel any of those like like more personally how did it make you did it make you want to like change any part of your life or like how yeah I guess anything more long impacting um I think the short answer is no Mm. um although I what was insane to me was seeing all these people, the whole like hashtag mama mentality thing, you know, tackling life. And it did motivate a lot of people. I mean, there are people to this day still posting about, and especially when it was on August 24th, Kobe day, people were posting about, you know, the day he died, I decided I was going to do X, Y, and Z. I was going to lose weight. I was going to talk to my parents again. I was going to do all this stuff. Um, so it's great that that happened. Personally, it didn't. I mean, I just felt sorrow and sadness and I cried a lot. Um, yeah. It didn't change me, but that's just be, that's just who I am. Yeah. Like what motivates me. Um, what I'm curious is like you, I guess you heard about it, didn't know too much about it, didn't follow the NBA that much, but now getting super into it and almost like being able to see everything from a lens that's maybe not as clouded by all of the emotional reaction that was happening the days after. Mm-hmm. Did it, like, did you have any thoughts about it? 
Like, did you even entertain the thought of like, maybe I should do something different? Yeah, it definitely did not feel immediate to me at all. Like, I did not feel an affinity to Kobe. Probably I've not ever felt that way with him. I think it made me feel like, if you know me more personally, I'm really obsessed with Matisse Teibel right now, who's on the 76ers, and they just, they're not in the playoffs anymore, so that's sad. But I was thinking, like, what, what would be a player that I would feel really sad about them passing? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it, it made me think a lot more about like celebrity status, I guess, like Mm -hmm. how you were saying that you you didn't know all these things about Kobe when he passed. And then all these people come out and were like, Oh, he used to text me at like 2am. Like, how would you give advice to your daughter about playing Uh basketball? Like all those things. And I don't know. I, I, that was really interesting to me because when I was watching these, all my only impression was like, he seems really intense. He didn't seem that goofy or like personable yeah. from my perception, like, which was very limited. And I had this like, oh, he had this like sexual assault allegation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so mostly I was feeling a lot of affinity for like Shaq and MJ and Vanessa and like the other sisters that yeah. still remain like, that's what I was feeling more so than anything else, more so than anything for Kobe. Um, what I was curious about is like, what does the loss feel like when you are thinking about their legacy? Cause you were talking about like, Oh, now he won't be able to do X, Y, and Z. Like I, what does that mean? Cause I felt like when an NBA player retires, it's like, yeah. okay, like you're just common like a commentator like i i didn't know that people felt so much for them after they retired i think it was a lot of for me personally uh, a lot of the people that i grew up watching in basketball have retired right the the tim duncans the dirks d wades kgs and some of them have just like just gone silent enjoyed retirement like tim duncan for example i don't even know what he's doing now but others are mba analysts right they're in media d wade's on kind of a i don't exactly know what he is but he's like some media person some analyst for tnt um even someone like chris weber who retired a long time ago you see him and you see his face a lot um, for Shaq, for example, yeah, he's on inside the NBA. He's a big figure, and you just have their presence in your life. So it's almost like you know them. Mm-hmm. And for Kobe, what he started doing post retirement was a lo- was almost like showing this more personable side of him. It's like now that he's dominated winning and championships, he's kind of let his guard down. And even on his last year, his like farewell tour right? You saw a lot of that. You saw him smiling at games. You saw him interacting with the crowd. Um, and so it just felt like, I guess what it was, was it felt like I was finally getting to see the quote unquote person Kobe and not the basketball player Kobe. Mm. And then it got taken away. He started also doing these things. Um, it was a series on HBO, ESPN. And I forgot which, which media company it was, but it was called Detail where he breaks down like a player 
at an individual game and like dissects because he was so detail oriented dissects every little part of him and it was just seeing him be that influence onto the younger generation um and and after he died all the word coming about coming out around how he was a huge advocate of the WNBA, which to in full transparency like i don't watch i don't know anything about but it was just great to see him I guess caring and being so intimately involved in things other than him and the NBA, you know? Yeah. Okay. I have a lot of questions. One is like, how do we create archetypes around sports? It feels like basketball players versus football players versus like tennis players have different kinds of archetypes. And maybe that's just because I'm very unfamiliar with all these three domains. Mm-hmm. Um, is it similar that in football, like if we were to follow Mahomes or something like that? Yeah. Oh my God. I almost could not name a single player. I know. I was like, <laughs> can she what? do it? Yeah. <laughs> I did it. Um, but like my, my perception of basketball players are like goofy dads, goofy dads playing basketball. Mm-hmm. And they're obviously ex- extremely excellent at the sport, right. but they're just like these goofy goobers who are like really big. Yeah. Um, and football, I don't have that perception at all. Like, I just am like, you guys are just big bros, and I don't feel like an affinity to your personality. Even before, I have to caveat, even before the onset of, like, all these inside-the-bubble vlogs and, like, right. people having more of a personality on social media, like, when Steph Curry was on, has been on the Warriors forever, I always like, oh, what a sweet man. Like, he's just such a sweet right. guy with his little baby babies. So do you feel like there's different archetypes for different sports? Absolutely. What are the archetypes? So if we're just talking like football and basketball, this is something people talk about a lot. Uh-huh. Um, the main difference comes down to, I would say three things for football and Ameri- American football and basketball. Specifically. Yeah. We can get into other sports too. One is roster size, right? So on a oh. football team, there are, wait, there are 30, 30 teams or 32 teams? I forget. 32 teams. Um, there's 53 players on any active game day roster. And that's not including folks that are on like the practice squad, for example. So 53 times 32 is a, yeah. I don't know, 1,500, something like that. Um, in basketball, there's 30 teams. There's fewer teams. And the rosters are... 13 13 to 15 yeah i see what you're saying there are fewer players in addition the other factor is the longevity the average football player the tenure in the nfl is like two two and a half years something like that in basketball i'd imagine it's like six or seven so you just know people for longer and you see them throughout the years the last thing is also and this is just a facet of the game when you watch basketball what do you see oh uh, yeah you see and faces running up and down a court and yeah. replays you see their face you see their emotional reactions in football you see what 26 helmets on the field at once that's such a good point yeah even when way less like, personable exactly even when something crazy happens a touchdown a celebration their helmets are on like you literally yeah. can't see their like i'm telling you even myself included, who, who follows football a lot, I probably could not, besides like height, 
right? And build. To not tell the. Yeah. If I was yeah. at like freaking uh, Safeway or Trader Joe's and everyone was just that tall, I probably could not be able to tell you which one of them was a football player. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's a big part of it. Uh, and in fact, I think the NFL has, ta- has understood this as social media has grown. And so you'll see they've made a lot of efforts to make, to put faces to their stars. Wow. Is one more dominant, like from a viewership and loyalty perspective? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, if you're talking about in America. Correct. The NFL is like king. Really? Yeah. By far. Even though all these aspects, I mean, maybe it's just because it's so ingrained in the culture. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's, they have marquee games on during primetime. So like Sunday primetime. Correct. Yeah. But also like on Thanksgiving, for example, right? Like that's yeah. literally something people do on Thanksgiving. That's true. Like, I'm that's tired so of talking to my family all the time. So I'm just going to watch the game. Yeah. But internationally, it's basketball because basketball is more accessible, right? It's yeah. much easier for a team in Slovenia. Literally, Slovenian players are great uh, um, to put together a team of basketball players than football players. So mm, very interesting. Okay. The other thing I was curious about. Yeah. From like Kobe's thing of being really excellent for a large majority of his career and not showing his personality to his last years and showing his personality. Yeah. Like anecdotally, I feel like I kind of relate to that. So I'm curious if you do too, mm. because I'm an excellent basketball player and I've been in the I'm just kidding. I've not been in the NBA for 20 years. <laughs> um, I, I resonate with that because when I started working, that was like kind of my mentality of like, I'm not going to show my personality as much in the beginning because I just want to be extremely excellent. And I just want people to know I'm extremely mm. excellent. And especially with the people I directly worked with, then I was like, all right, like, I think you guys kind of know I'm pretty good. So like, whatever let's have fun i'll joke around with you and make some funny comments during meetings but it was a conscious decision for the first like six months of work i was like i just need to prove myself at being really good and then after that whatever like i'll i'll bring out my personality then and i was talking to one of our friends nick biddle about this and he was like that's so interesting i actively don't do that like i actively show my personal side and my professional side even when it's at odds, even when it feels like I probably shouldn't be because I just want to test that tension of like, I can be excellent and show you that I am a drag queen or that right. I like want one time in a conference room, he made me like walk on his back because he wanted me to crack his back. Like he was just like, I'm going to do all the things in this yeah. very moment and see like how you deal with it because I know that I'm excellent and like a personable person. Did you have that experience before, like when you started working? Uh, yes and no. So I think the first thing that we should probably both acknowledge is. We are excellent at our jobs. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, yes. Like, but the thing I was actually going to say was that when we joined, we were lucky to join when we did mm-hmm. because it was a culture and an environment that allowed you to do that. Even if you didn't feel comfortable with it uh, from the start, 
I would imagine if like we dropped you at another company, you probably would have let loose a lot later. Correct. Just because the cultural values were there. So I think we had that advantage. Mm. Um, for me, uh, so like we, this is both our first jobs, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I had no sense of what it was like in a workplace coming out of college. And so even during onboarding, um, I was like, I had already left, like I cried a lot in onboarding because you're supposed mm -hmm. to be vulnerable, you know, no, 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 no. And I think that actually really helped a lot um, because it helped bond, not like me cry in particular, but in general, um, it helped make it so that by the end of week one onboarding, I was like, oh, I could just be who I am, be myself. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think I would like agree a lot with Nick in that just because you're being who you are doesn't mean you can't be good at your job too. Yeah. Yeah, right? for sure. Um, like, I think that's why that comment you made the other day, I don't know if it was on this podcast or just separately around, like, if I didn't know you, you, you would have thought that I was like a super harsh or super strict manager or whatever. Oh yeah. Remember I remember. Like, I think about that, not exactly that comment, but that dynamic a lot where you can both be that way in order to help people learn, but also be goofy and yeah. cry. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. So I, I a hundred percent agree with that. And I see the value in that now. Um, or even just like six months after my job, I was like, Oh, everybody's doing it. And I want to do that too. It feels more natural. Yeah. Um, what's interesting is that as you become more like, as you progress in your career, I guess, and mm -hmm. you get into a leadership position, that is not the case. I feel that people do not like, they're not who they are. And I have this theory, which is yet to be debunked, but I do want to talk about it. So just for some context for everybody listening, I, I have like good relationship with some of the leaders in our company. And I have asked them like, are, do you feel lonely being a leader? As I always say, like lonely at the top, whatever, whatever. But I actually think this is a real thing because you become them and I am us. And like, I will stop inviting them to things and I will not like joke with them about like, oh my God, remember when Deanna smashed at this thing? Like, I'm not going to tell you about that because like, that's just awkward. And like, it's right. not going to be a comfortable conversation. Right. So I think what's really unfortunate is that when you get into places of leadership when you're supposed to show and model empathy and vulnerability and all these things it gets like conditioned out of you because all your peers are like I guess I just need to talk about why this account is green and like make one joke about like I'd love to make pizzas in my home oven yeah. or whatever um <laughs> uh which sucks like yeah. Dion when you become a director or whatever yeah. like I imagine there's going to be all these forces at play that are just going to make you not be able to be yourself. So do you, I guess my first question to you is like, do you believe that? I think it's like increasingly harder to do it. I think it takes a very excellent type of person to still say, I'm going to be myself and like be chill and hang. I've seen it model. I've seen very few models of people who are like chill and hang and also very like good and leader like that yeah. executive presence thing that they always say. Uh -huh. Yeah. 
Um, I guess what I would say to that and what I would ask you is to, to which audience, like, so let's say I'm a director. Yeah. And I, I lead a team. What does it mean to be myself in front of my peers mm-hmm. and um, like the senior directors and VPs and stuff? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. And what does it mean to be myself in front of my team? Yeah. So I'm usually my team. Um, and I've seen it become like, obviously it depends on this person, but like, let's say Dion, I saw you ascend to these positions. Like I saw you ascend to a director position from when I knew you as a senior analyst, like then that means that I knew you as yourself of like joking with me all the time when we're sitting at our desks, getting lunch with me and talking about whatever like is coming to your mind. And and let's say I was on your team. This is something that we probably can't speak to because that has never happened to us that I was on your team and like worked yeah. on a project with you, but we were still able to do that effectively. What I've seen happen as this ascension happens is like, and just to, to quote a concrete piece of evidence that I talked to someone about, they felt like I go to lunch and I can't sit with anyone because nobody wants to sit with me because I'm a director and like I have some sort of say in like their professional development. Right. And then it becomes lonely. So they'll go walk to the lunchroom and look around and then like go to their desk and pretend that they have to work because that's what, like, that's just what they get pushed into. And then another example is like Dion as my friend, senior analyst, manager, whatever, like I'm going to go get dinner with other colleagues come with, or I'm going to go like, I'm going to gripe about leadership. I'm going to gripe about it with you. And like, I can't do that anymore when you are a director, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I'm not sure how much of this will actually be true when I am experiencing this, just because I'm cognizant of all of these things already. And I would, I would want to put you in a position where it's like, I want you to be you and truly you and yeah. also like your director self. Then yeah. I imagine when you're with your peers of directors and senior managers, you're going to be like, and like, what's the utilization and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Yeah, I get it. Um, I guess the thing I would say and ask you about is, um, yeah, I mean, it really does go back does go back to the question of what does it mean to be yourself? Yeah. Because for me, what it means to be myself is to be goofy and to create, to be in an environment where everyone feels like they can be goofy. They can ask dumb questions. They can do dumb things. They can say stuff like, yo, we're cool. Yeah. Right? Or they can end calls with like, bye or something like that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's more important to me for the team that I'm leading. Sure. I guess... Yeah, yeah. Well, so the, where I'm going with this is that that sort of culture can only exist if other people want it to, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So if I, for example, say, oh, I want that amongst my director peers, but no one cares for that and they're not engaging that way, then it's not like I'm not being myself, Interesting. right? Interesting. I'm just being a different side of myself. I'm being very transactional because I'm choosing to invest my time and my energy in groups that do care. Mm 
or yearn for this? Okay. Okay. I think that's a good, good statement because let's say we assume that like the people that we see now in leadership feel that they're like, actually, I do really want to prioritize culture. I do really want to do those things. I'm a leader. So I can be the one to pioneer those things and have it affect levels beyond me. But my peers, other directors, VPs, and whatever, as you go up, don't value that kind of culture, don't model that kind of culture to me as a peer. And yeah, don't like incentivize me to be that way too. Like they're not bought in. Then what happens? Because then you're in a system where like you have dependents below you for lack of a better word and peers who both have like at odds kind of cultural norms. Mm -hmm. How do you operate in that? Yeah. Um, I guess it's like, this is going to sound very privileged, Sure. but find another job oh yeah f it kind of like i actually i i talk when i've talked to like analysts that i've worked with in the past um that i've been teams or a part of a team with or folks that are looking to make a career change or whatever a lot of times people will talk about like oh, i don't want to burn any bridges or uh you know i want to get on this person's good side because x y and z And I always think, I always say to them, like, why? Why do you care about burning bridges when the bridge that you're burning is to someone that you'll probably never talk to ever again? Someone you don't respect? Someone that, like, you're you're certainly not going to ask a reference for, right? Mm -hmm. Why not just choose to be yourself and naturally have those who like who you truly are be drawn to you and then build deep relationships there. And once again, this is a privilege because like we have the luxury of saying, Oh yeah, I don't need to, you know, have a job because I'll find a job elsewhere. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess that kind of makes me believe that or makes me think that you have the belief that at other places it's different. Like that, the idea that it's not universally all directors, all senior managers, et cetera, mm-hmm. are just not themselves and right. care about other priorities. And I think the important thing is when you're looking for another job, I think, I think this just further underscores the fact that for both of us, what we need is to find a place where we can be ourselves. And in your next position, you're probably going to be in some leadership position, Right you if you find a place that culturally allows you to be who you are even if it's just 10 percent more than the typical suit and tie whatever culture you because you're in a leadership position you have the power to like affect yeah change an organization that that's the dream for me to be honest with you yeah like go somewhere where the culture isn't that hot and it's not great and over the course of years, turn it around to somewhere where everyone loves working there because they can be themselves. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Um, bringing, this is like, yeah, not, that was there's, a no there's no segue. There's no segue. But one thing I, I wanted to actually ask you about when we were mm-hmm. talking about Kobe, mm-hmm. we didn't really get too much in depth with Kobe, to be honest, but um Chadwick Boseman. Oh, I know. It, what were your reactions to that? 
Actually, that's a great question because I wasn't like deeply sad either. Mm-hmm. I was sad because I think he's an excellent actor. And I also feel like the movies that he was in had like great messages for the world. Yeah, Wakanda. Um, but okay, this is like something that I'm curious if I'm even like this. Like, do I feel attachment to celebrities? I'm not sure because I didn't have the experience of like, oh, I'm deeply sad and I'm holding the sorrow of the world in my hands right now and crying. Like, I didn't feel that way. Did you expect me to feel that way? No. Yeah, I didn't have a lot of affinity to him. Yeah. I mean, what did you feel? I was shocked. I literally screamed. I was sitting right there on my couch and Kathleen. No way. Kathleen was like, um, you know that guy from Black Panther? I was like, which guy? She was like, the Black Panther? I was like, Chadwick Boat. Oh, no. She said, yeah, yeah. She's like, yeah, um, Chad, he died. And I was like, who that Chad? Chad. Chad. Like, Wait a minute, Chadwick Boseman? She's like, yeah. I And I screamed. I was like, what? Because nobody, like, kind yeah. of parallel to Kobe, right? Like, his nobody. personal life, completely out of the public eye. Yeah. Man. I mean, honestly, I think that there's a lot more to explain. Like celebrity death, I think is particularly interesting because it feels like we are their friend, but we really just don't know a lot about them, nor do we go through any of the actions that you might normally go through from a mourning perspective of like attending the funeral or like being with the family, et cetera. I feel like there's a lot more to explore in regards to death generally. Like, do you, do you not feel Okay, I'm, this is sounding really assertive. Do you feel motivated by, by death? Like, do your, does your life, mm-hmm. and like what I would imagine an answer would be like, is like not all the time, but sometimes. But yeah. I'm curious like when, because like as death has happened in my life, it's like a spurt of a little bit of like, what mm-hmm. in the F am I doing? I like sit in front of my computer for eight hours and blah, blah, blah. And then I return and like whatever, which is like, I think a very normal reaction. But how do you kind of keep the immediacy of death kind of closer so that you act in a more, I guess, aligned way to yourself? No. If, if that's the assumption that you don't do it when you don't think about death. Um, I guess like the, I think the better question would be what motivates you. Yeah. Because so if, is that saying that death does not like when you feel when you hear about death or if death happens to you personally in your family, you're not like, what am I doing? Like, I need to reevaluate my life. I need to tell my loved ones I love them. Yeah. So I think that's a very like personal question that differs based on each person. And yeah. for me, I the closest family member I've had pass away was last year it was my grandpa. Mm-hmm. Actually, mm-hmm. Like one year is coming up soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was close to him like as a kid, but then he moved back to Taiwan. So I like rarely ever saw him. So it didn't really, I cried and everything, but it didn't really affect me. Like I got to change my life. Yeah. I would guess that for most people, if let's say a parent or a sibling or someone passed, someone that was really, really close, that would affect them in some way. I just haven't experienced it. So I can't really. Yeah. But, Interesting. Yeah. I mean, do you, the broader question, 
is right like if you if i told you you were going to die tomorrow what would i do differently no to me the the more impactful question is would you be happy Mm. how you lived your life so far yeah I mean, if I were to answer that question, I would say yes. But I think that's informed by my like personality to not want to have regrets or like see my life in like rose tinted glasses. But I would still say that there is, would be so much of my life that I would still want to experience that I've yet to experience. Right. But if you were to ask me that question, I would probably just say yes immediately. What would you say? Probably no. Oh, yeah? yeah? Why? Probably no with like a sprinkle of not sure, if that makes sense. So the not sure is just, I'm a big believer in like this fate or destiny or whatever. Like things happen for a reason. I'm a huge like, you know, you know like spooky music <laughs> kind of thing. Um, so it's not like in any way I've had a bad life. In fact, I've probably had a great life compared to 99.9% of the people in the world. Um, so that's where the not sure comes from. It's like, okay, I could have done things differently, but I don't care to achieve perfection. Like, it's not like I know what the happiest I could be looks like. So have I generally a good life? Yes. Um, but I think I would generally say no, just because of where I am in my life right now of like, being in a state of uncertainty, yeah. you know, how to best spend life. Anything from like career to just personal time, like how to best spend that. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Would you rather know when you died or how you died? Ooh. Uh, when? Really? If I had to choose, it'd be when. Imagine if it was how and it was like you were eating a popsicle and you like never will eat a popsicle ever in your life and live with paranoia. Yeah, but like somehow life would find its way that you're eating a popsicle and in that okay. moment, you yeah, die. Yeah, would you rather know when or how? I think when I'm honestly, I'd rather not know anything, but right. if I had to know, yeah, if I had to know, I would rather know when. Oof. Can you just imagine that, Dion? I say to you, you're going to die on like December 1st, 2025. And you're like, oh, suddenly I have to like live all of my life in the next five years. Right. Crazy. What does that even mean? Like, how does that? I have no idea how that would translate. That's crazy. There was Maybe this... it wouldn't change anything. Would you change anything, you think? I say uh, December 1st, 2025. I'd sell my home to start. You would. Well, yeah, just because, like, there's no point in, you know what I mean? Like, oh, you're like, I'm, what? what about Kathleen? Oh, I oh. mean, she's down, right? She'd be like, oh, yeah, let's do it. Oh, like, she's down, right? Yeah. I'll go for the next five years, right? Like, whatever, do yeah. it. Um, oh, you would spend all your savings, you think? Yeah, well, who am I leaving it for? I, I ain't going to have kids, you know what I mean? Kathleen! Like, <laughs> oh, I mean, whatever, she's fine. She'll, yeah, she'll, she'll, she's probably already making it big. Yeah, yeah. that's true. <laughs> Um, dang, was, there was a show one season god it was great I don't know why it got cancelled it was called Flash Forward have you heard of this no my god <laughs> basically this premise basically um, 
the whole world like blacked out for like six minutes or something on a random day and like everybody blacked out and just like collapsed and um this is all in the trailer so i'm not spoiling anything but basically the idea is while you were blacked out you had a vision and in that vision it was frank i'm ruining the premise i'm so oh my god dion you're building up so much suspense okay okay hold on it was like I think everyone had a vision of either where they would be on a certain date, like three years in the future, let's say, or something like that, yeah. or a vision of like how they would die. But a lot of people didn't have a vision. They didn't have <gasps> a dream. Which, Which means, means those people they, knew that they were going to die before that date or something. It was something like, yeah, yeah. I think it was oh, had man. a vision of what you'd be doing at a very specific time X years from now or X okay. months from now. And if you didn't have a vision that means people started finding out that means i was gonna die before x months that date and the whole story is around like the whole show is around how the world like reacts and one specific like task force that was in charge of figuring out some 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 usual oh my god it was so good it stars john cho who john cho john cho uh, dude, the guy in uh, Harold and Kumar, the guy in Searching, the guy who, well, did, did you like Searching? The uh, way they shot, you, yeah, you liked it. That was the okay. I know we're a little bit over, but the no, reason, nice. okay, the reason why Searching to me was such a great movie, besides like the novel way that it was shot, is because it was the first time I watched a movie starring an Asian American, where. At no point in the entire movie did I remember thinking, oh, he's Asian. Yeah. It was just a movie about a guy. Yeah. It's other things. I don't want to spoil it. But yeah. Like, wow. that's why it was so great to me. Okay. Things that we need to talk about in the future. Social impact. Uh, cultural identity representation in media. Remember we were supposed to talk Ooh. about, like, Never Have I Ever and... Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kathleen's been watching Indian matchmaking. So oh, yeah. Someone else. I have not seen it. I have not seen it. Yeah. Um, and then there was something else I wanted to ask you about, but I forget. Oh, yeah. I think we need to talk about um, like Silicon Valley, just living in the Bay Area and how that has an impact on your lifestyle. Because I'm really entertaining this idea of like, are we just in this crazy bubble and we just think this is what life is supposed to be like? But then you go to like Minnesota yeah. and they're like, of course you don't do that and you do this right whatever they do in Minnesota. yeah I mean, are you a co-op <laughs> Wait, minnesota has like the long oh i know minnesota. i'm just doing a callback uh, to our joke yeah, about yeah. another accent that i have done before yeah if you don't get the joke be sure to watch mm-hmm. episode one and listen to it because there's no video so. oh right listen to it sorry we're still there. anyways oh, okay this kid uh all right, Dion, I'll talk to you next week. Wait, what the frick? What kind of outro is that? I, mean, I want to talk to you about how your day was quickly, but I want to be like, this is the end of our podcast. All right, see you guys. Thanks all right, to bye, all guys. the listeners. And don't forget, Ireland, dude, or do that, please. <laughs> Inlifepodcast at gmail.com. Please, we'd love to hear from you. Hit us up. If you liked what you heard, send us an email at inlifepod at gmail.com for a question you'd like us to discuss. 
Thanks for listening.